I'm Bobby Newton. I am a patrolman with the Cape Dreadle Police Department. I will be your host for the Cape Dreadle Police Department podcast. This is episode one, and we're with Chief Wes Blair. Chief, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be here. Glad that uh, we're getting this off the ground and going to get our message out to our listeners. Yeah, we've had uh, some feedback so far. Uh, a lot of it's good. A lot of people are anticipating this podcast and excited to hear it come out. So we're excited to get it rolling for you. Chief, if you just want to talk a little bit about your time in law enforcement and kind of your experience. Yeah, yeah I never thought I'd be almost that old man um, when I first started 27 years ago. But I, you know, I've been in municipal policing most of that time. I did a, a couple of stints at the federal government level uh, with Border Patrol and Air Marshals. But, you know, I found my passion was really working in the municipalities and the communities and getting to know the communities and, and protecting and taking care of, uh, you know, the people that we live with. And so... That's what's kept me motivated all these years to keep doing what I'm doing is just taking care of our community. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's great to have you here. Uh, I know I've worked with you for several years, and it's just a pleasure every day to come in and, and work for a chief that um, is on the front lines and supports our officers. So in your time of law enforcement, have you seen a lot of changes over the years? Oh, gosh, yeah. It, you know, it's completely changed. You know, I, I can remember the first cop job that I applied for. I think there was like two or three positions open, maybe up to 10. I don't remember. But uh, there were over a thousand applicants for that job. You know, and so it was a very competitive environment and police departments could really pick and choose who they wanted. You know, and now we've seen it dwindle over the last you know, several years due to you know, just the national narrative around policing where we're, we're scrounging, we're begging people to come be cops. And so that's tough because we're not like a restaurant that if they don't have wait staff, they can close on a Monday or, you know, modify their hours. We have to keep providing 24-hour service and we still have to provide top-notch professional service. So when you're in a, a shortage of employees, that that becomes very challenging to try to keep the hiring level uh, up as well as keeping your standards high as well. Uh, and, and then keeping the guys and gals that are working for you motivated because they're having to work a lot of overtime just to make up the shift shortages. Yeah, and that's one of the things I've noticed as well is keeping our standards up. We're definitely not lowering our standards to hire individuals. You know, we've got enough men and women that are willing to face that front line, put in the extra work so that we don't have to lower our standards. And that's one thing that I really like about the Cape Girl Police Department is you know, we're not going to sacrifice something just so we can get some bodies in there. So that's really good. Yeah, you know, I don't remember who said it, but in a leadership podcast that I was listening to, one of the things it talked about was as a leader, you need to identify what your non-negotiables are. And lowering our standards is a non-negotiable for me. I would rather us work shorthanded with, you know, 10 professional cops who are going to serve their community well uh, than have 20 cops, 10 of which are going to be problematic for us and not good for our community. So, uh, yeah, the professionalism and the integrity is the most critical thing that uh, that we have to offer. And, and if you lower your standards, you lose that. And so we're just not going to do it. I know our department is really big on the community, getting out in the community. We're doing that more uh, every day. And what are some things that you would like to see in the future or some, some ideas that maybe to implement? Uh, to get out in the community more. Yeah, you know, I, I think we do some really great things already with our, our neighborhood roll calls, our coffee with cops. Um, you know, I've tasked each one of our patrol divisions and our detective division to come up with community events on their own and get out there and do them. Any chance that we get the opportunity to gauge with especially the younger generation who's 
being fed this national narrative that police are bad and that this is a horrible occupation and there's no nobility or honor it anymore, which we know to not be true. We need to be the ones that are getting that message out to our younger generations that this is a great profession. These It's full of good people. So every opportunity that we have that we can engage with our community in a non-enforcement way, you know, I, I think we need to, to capitalize on. I know we're going to be working with Old Town Cape a little bit more uh, this year, participating like in their tree lighting thing with, with officers there, not as an enforcement tool, just as a meet and greet and get to know your cop. You know, anytime that we have opportunities to do that, if there's community groups that want us to come out and interact with them, we, we want to be there. We want to do that. We're only allowed to police because our community allows us to do it. And that's why we have to stay engaged with our community and listen to our community to what their needs are. So every opportunity that we have to get out and do it, we, we need to do it and we want to do it. Yeah, and I've mentioned it before, you know, that's kind of a passion of mine is being out in the community. I love this job. I love putting on the uniform every day. And it's just a, a passion to me to be able to give back to the community because, as you mentioned, our patrol guys are our front line, but the front line before them were – that's our community. You know, Absolutely. those are the people we serve every day. So it's just, it's a passion of mine to get out and, and be involved with that. So something else I want to touch on is there are several other departments, especially our size and larger, where the PIO doesn't get to interact with the chief on a daily basis, or the patrolman doesn't get to interact with the chief. I've noticed over the 10 years I've been with you that you are on the front lines. You're out there with your guys backing them up on calls. You know, I believe a few years ago, you were even a victim of a firework incident, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I, I was, yes. Um, so what motivates you to do that? Why are you a chief that will go out on the front lines with your guys? You know, there's several things to that. Um, one is I think our department size, our community size is kind of in a sweet spot that allows for that. Um, you know, if I were the chief in a major city like a St. Louis or a Chicago, probably wouldn't have the time or opportunity to do it because there's so many more administrative duties that call the chief away. Uh, and, and I do have administrative duties that keep me from doing that all the time. And I shouldn't be doing that all the time. That's not my role. But I also think it's important to not forget where you came from. If I'm not willing to go out and be a police officer, I don't deserve to wear the badge any more than anybody else does. Does that mean that I'm out there every day, you know, running calls and things? No, absolutely not. That's not my role. But when I have the opportunity to do it, or if I'm driving somewhere and an officer needs assistance on something, I am more than willing to be that backup officer for them. I should be that backup officer for them. And, and I think you see that even all the way filtering through our command staff. You know, our patrol lieutenants will get out there and back officers up and take calls and write reports. The assistant chiefs go out and back officers up. And I think that's important because, one, it keeps us sharp in our skills, but it also sends a message to, to our officers that we're not any better than they are, and we're willing to do the same job that they're willing to do. Yeah, and that's a good point is not to forget where you came from. You know, I spent several years before I got into law enforcement, I was at work in retail, you know, just a normal average Joe, uh, and that's what I keep reflecting back on is whenever I go to these calls or whenever I'm helping somebody out, it's I can put myself in their shoes because I've been there. And I think it's very important to reflect back on where you came from. Right. And, and you know, it also gives us the opportunity to see what's emerging in our community, what's what's happening. It's one thing for me to read newspaper stories or talk to other chiefs about what's going on and, you know, in the future. And I can give a prime example is, you know, and I think we're going to segue into this in a minute, but the, the mental health piece. You can't be in your car for more than 10 minutes without hearing our officers being dispatched on a call that has a mental health nexus to it. I don't know if I weren't out there seeing that. I don't know that I would have really totally understood the the full impact of what 
mental health is doing in our communities. Uh, but I have been out there and I have been listening to the radio and I have been showing up on those calls. And from my time starting in law enforcement to where we are today, that has just grown exponentially. Um, I, you know, I can remember back as a patrol officer many, many years ago, you had the two or three people that you knew who they were and you knew that you're you're going to have to go out to their their homes once or twice a week. It's not two or three people anymore. It's it's almost the majority of what we're doing now. I may have missed that if I had not been out just actively listening, actively participating in what was going on on the streets. Right. And we can go ahead and segue into that now. So you brought it up, the mental health side. It's so much now that we've actually got our crew or co-responder units that we've implemented within the department. And that has been phenomenal to have those guys and girls in here to respond with our officers, basically free up our officers to where they're not getting tied up with this one individual. The crew can uh, come in and assess the situation and take care of that. What's your take on that? I think if at the end of my career, if I look back and reflect on the things that I've accomplished or that we've accomplished, because I don't accomplish anything all on my own, but if I could look back on the things that we've accomplished as a department, I think the mental health piece with our crisis response unit and the internal mental health piece that we do for our officers, uh, I think will be the, the thing I'm probably most proud of because we were thrust into this being the first responder to mental health. And we, it's not something we ask for, but we're the ones that are there in the middle of the night. And I'm just really proud of the way that we have addressed that, the way that we've gone out and we've worked with Community Counseling Center and other mental health providers to make sure that we're streamlining that process and not just throwing people into jail because we don't want them on the street, but we're actually getting them into services. I think it's just phenomenal what we have done. And, you know, the, the crew folks tell me that we're probably the most rural department that actually does this. You know, that's that's a thing to be very proud of, you know, and I know that they're even now being asked to engage in speaking engagements at, at the national level to talk about what is it that we're accomplishing here. I couldn't be any prouder of us for being a national model, if it were, for something that's so critical across our country, you know. And so, you know, we, right now we just have the two responders. We can't do the 24-7 response, but my goal is to absolutely get us to do 24-7 response with that and take care of our community and take care, help take care of the mental health needs of our community. Yeah, I know it's been a great asset since we added it. Not just the crew, but you know, we put a lot of work into our the mental health of our officers. So our officers experience things that most people don't experience on a daily basis. And that's why it's a great thing to have the peer support that we started last year uh, for officers to be able to reach out and get the help that they need for their mental health as well, uh, because they're they're going through critical incidents day in and day out, multiple times a day. They are. And, you know, that's something that um, really resonated with me from personal experience as a police officer. You know, my, my son and I were, this has been a couple of years ago, he asked me, he's like, how many homicides have you been to in your career? We kind of started adding it up doing the math and it was close to 70. That's a lot of trauma that you see as a, an officer. And, you know, there was a period in my career when I was a detective and I worked crimes against children and saw the horrific things that people do to their children. Well, back then, if I had gone to my supervisor and said, man, I'm really struggling, um, you know, I just worked a dead baby case and I've got a small child myself and I'm really struggling. In those days, my supervisor wouldn't have said, hey, let's get you some counseling. Let's get you some help to work through that. They would have said, we don't think that you're cut out for this job. And that's a horrible thing that we did to our officers for so many years because we expected them to not be human. And our officers are human. We want them to be human. Uh, we want them to have compassion. We want them to have empathy. 
And if we say you got to lock down your emotions completely and not ever deal with it, we take that away from them. We take away their ability to, for compassion and for empathy, and we kill them. Honestly, we kill them. You know, officer suicides is one of the highest suicide rates in our country. If we're not taking care of the mental health of the people who are taking care of our community, then we're being completely unfair to, to our police officers. And that's why I'm so excited that we've been able to really embrace the mental health on the on the inside with our staff and get them the peer support, um, you know, which is another officer that's specially trained that they can go to. We've got our counseling service put on the mental health conference every year. Uh, I, I think that's something that we've been just incredibly proactive at. And it's good to see other departments are starting to do that as well. But I think we're on the leading edge of that as well. Again, that's a lot of that's just due to Assistant Chief Barker is the one who really got most of that stuff rolling. And it's it's because he saw that need and he saw that we needed to take care of our police officers. And, and the community has been incredibly supportive of that. You know, our conference that we do every year is completely funded by our business community. They just donate the money to make it happen. And that's encouraging to see that our community embraces that as well. Yeah, and, you know, I'm part of that peer support team as well. And it's just it's amazing how we could all come together and work and make that happen. You know, we talk about what officers see day in and day out, but what a lot of people don't realize, like you mentioned, we're still human. We still have wives. We still have kids. We still have struggles, and we still have, you know. We still have bills to pay. Bills to and, pay and arguments and everything else that, that everybody else has to deal with as well. Um, so it's great to have that peer support, the counseling, and everything involved to help us cope with all of that well uh, and if our officers are not mentally healthy then they're not going to be good police officers on the street exactly and so we owe it to our community as much as we owe it to our officers to make sure that our our officers mental health is taken care of one last piece i want to touch on is um you know as you know and most of our listeners know television has basically made officers super superhuman uh you know no matter how big or small they are they should be able to take a guy twice their size can you talk a little bit about what takes place uh for use of force and you know kind of how how that all plays out right yeah you know as as a chief and an officer i i wish we never had to use force on people um, but that's just not the reality of the world that we, we live in. People sometimes are just going to be non-compliant. And when they are, then you have to use force to make an arrest, I mean, appropriate levels of force. And the use of force is never going to look pretty. Um, a fight never looks pretty. Tasing somebody never looks pretty. Certainly having to discharge your firearm is never going to look pretty. Um, but it's a necessity. So, But you know, we also take that very seriously, too, because we don't want to be a department that just turns a blind eye and says, well, you know, none of our officers would ever abuse anybody and we don't even look into it. So, you know, when there's a use of force incident, um, especially one where there's a complaint made about potential excessive force or there's a shooting, what we will do is we run a parallel investigation. We do our own internal affairs investigation to determine, hey, did they follow all of our policies, all of our procedures? But then when it comes to a violent physical altercation, like some of the shootings that we've had, we bring in Highway Patrol to do a separate investigation and say, hey, did our officers work within the confines of the law? Did they do what was legal? 
So we run both of those investigations at the same time. Um, you know, some of your larger departments will do both of those investigations internally. Uh, and, and we have the resources to do that internally, but I think that's less transparent. So if you bring in an outside agency to do that criminal aspect of it, to look at, hey, is were they within the law? I think it adds transparency. It adds another set of eyes. It gets rid of some of the, your confirmation bias. You know, I want to believe that my police officers always are doing the right thing all the time. Um, but we know in reality that, because we've talked about our police officers are human, they're going to make mistakes. Well, if they've made mistakes, I don't want to be biased in my beliefs that they're great. I want that extra outside eyes to, to look at that and say, okay, here, here are some issues. Or they did do everything exactly right. Fortunately, in every one of our major use of force uh, incidents in the 10 years I've been here, we've been exonerated on. I think that's a testament to the outstanding quality of police officers that we have, which kind of circles all the way back to we don't lower our standards. You know, we owe it to our community to also police ourselves. And so I, I like the way that we do it. I think that's an appropriate way of doing it. As an officer who's been in a shooting myself, uh, when you hear, hey, there's an internal affairs investigation, oh, and you need to talk to these criminal investigators too, that's scary. Yeah. Um, because you, you, even if you truly believe you did the right thing, and even if you did do the right thing, it's still scary. You know, you, you, this is your career. This is your life that now is being scrutinized for a decision that you made in a split second. Right. We always want to be cognizant of that and take care of our officers when they're going through those investigations and be sure that we're treating them fairly and appropriately. And I think bringing in the outside agencies does that. And I know it's been a few years ago, but we, uh, we all got equipped with body cameras. Those are absolutely amazing pieces of equipment that we have and it shows the transparency between what really occurred i love them um, and i think most officers do because whenever there is a allegation of misuse we can pull up the body cameras yeah you have an accurate reflection of of what happened you know body cameras have their shortcomings they only see just a very small view of what's going on and not necessarily the peripheral and everything that that officer sees so there are some limitations with it but I can remember way back in the day when dash cams started coming on and officers, myself included, were very resistant to, oh, that's just administration trying to catch me messing up, trying to catch me doing something wrong. But we found through dash cams and then with the implementation of body cams that more often it clears officers uh, than it does um, implicate them in, in wrongdoing. Yeah. And, and if I'm doing something wrong, I would like for you to know about it. <laughs> right. If you are doing something wrong, even if it's just through mistake, then right. we need to correct that mistake. If it's through intention, intentionality, then we need to probably part ways. Right. And with body cam, that has, that has helped us. Um, and, and I, I hear officers, I've, since we started implementing body cameras, I, I don't know that I've heard an officer say, hey, I don't want one of those. Um, it's We actually went to that, not because of a community outcry for it, but for our own internal officers going, hey, we want body cameras so that we can prove that we're doing the right thing. Right. Um, because now with the you know, social media and the 24-7 news cycle and that you can be worldwide famous in three seconds, you know, with things just spreading all over the place is even more critical that we have that transparency with our, our body cameras and that we can record and document and say, no, this is this is the real story, not the little snippet that, you know, made Facebook all over the world. Right. All right, Chief. Well, I think that uh, pretty much wraps it up. Uh, we're going to try to keep these podcasts fairly short so most folks don't uh, 
you know, they, yeah. they have time to listen to it on their way to work or while they're working out or something like that. So you that. got the so long talker out of the way first. I got the long yeah. talker out of the way. So <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add? No, you, you know, I just a, a small reflection on my 10 years here now is that uh, I, I came here not fully knowing what to expect or even knowing how long that I would be in Cape Girardeau or if I would move on and move up and somewhere else. This community and this police department has been the greatest I've ever been in. That's why I'm still here. That's why yeah, my family is here. Um, yeah, I, I would. I just want our residents to know, and our visitors, that you have an amazing police department that really does care about the community, and that's what keeps me going and keep, gets me out of bed every day. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stick around for many more shows of exciting news happening within your Cape Girardeau Police Department. Our next show will air on August the 29th. You're not going to want to miss it.